recording. Now it's recording. All right, great. Would somebody read for us Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20? Maybe one of you actually has this memorized. You could do it straight from memory. It's something that we're probably all familiar with. Any taker, any reader, any from memory. Keith. Not from memory, no. Well, your extra credit just went out the window. (laughs) And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, brother. What an... uh, A few verses that we've all probably heard a million times. The Great Commission, right? This is is the thing that gets riled up in us when we're going to go do missions, when we're trying to figure out what is the mission of the church. And what we see embedded in this verse is our call to discipleship. It's what we are supposed to be doing. So let's ask the question then, what is a disciple? One of my favorite old dead guys is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, he's this awesome German Lutheran pastor uh, that the Nazis tried to recruit to to be their kind of lead guy for the state church in Germany, and he doesn't do it, and then he has ended up, he's hung uh, in a a concentration camp. But this guy uh, had written so much on the difference between costly grace and cheap grace, And this idea permeates how he thinks through discipleship. And so I'm going to be reading quotes from him and from other people as we continue. But this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, when we are called to follow Christ, we are summoned to an exclusive exclusive attachment to his person. And that's just a good way to think about what does it mean to be a disciple. Uh, He's also famous for saying, uh, Christianity calls a man to come and die. Uh, which I think is very fitting for him, um, that that's what Christianity called him to do. So when we look at the New Testament for the word disciple, it actually comes from the Greek word mathetes, which means, and here's where your blanks are. So you guys haven't had blanks in weeks, and you're going to get blanks today. You're going to get lots of fill in the blanks, okay? So here we go. A person who learns from another, so learns, from another by instruction, whether formal or informal. Charlene just made a bunch of copies. If anybody needs one, everybody say thank you to Charlene. Thank you, Charlene. And that's being recorded, Charlene, so that'll go down in history with GCC. All right, so the first two blanks, learns uh, and instruction. One who is associated with someone and has a particular set of views. Disciple can also be translated as student, pupil, or apprentice. More simply stated, a disciple is a follower. Period. That's it. A disciple is a follower. And I've got some verses there that are going to be for homework for you guys. We will read verses this morning, but those can be for homework. All right. So, a disciple of Christ then. We're building off of this definition of what... The Greek word disciple means a disciple of Christ then is someone who follows Christ, learns from him by his instruction, and is associated with what he taught. Christ called his disciples to go and make more disciples of him. That was not just for the people that Christ's disciples would disciple, 
but for everyone, including you guys in the room right now. Will somebody read John 17, verses 20 through 24? You're on it, Sean. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me at where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Wow, we could do a whole Sunday school on that right there. That is deep and beautiful and rich. And what we see is that Christ in his high priestly prayer is actually praying for you and I right now in this room to be disciples and how that would happen. Mark Dever, uh, he's the pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church and uh, a writer of many of those nine marks books that you guys see on our shelves says, but the Christian life is also the discipling life. Disciples, disciples. We follow the one who calls people to follow by calling people to follow. Why do we do this? For the sake of love and obedience. So what is a disciple called to learn? If he's going to be faithful and obedient, what is this student, pupil, or apprentice called to learn? Well, let's go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we view this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. J.I. Packer says, what is a Christian? Christians can be described from many angles. But from what we have said, it is clear that we can cover everything by saying, true Christians are people who acknowledge and live under the word of God. They submit without reserve to the word of God written in the book of truth, Daniel 10, 21. Believing the teaching, trusting the promises, following the commands. Their eyes are upon the God of the Bible as their father and Christ of the Bible as their savior. So when we look at Matthew 28, 20, and just hearing what Packer told us, Christ commands his disciples to teach others to observe. He teaches them to observe all that Christ has commanded. That was a blank, by the way. I'm just going to keep running through them and hope you guys write them down. You can come up afterwards if you miss one. So what does it mean to observe? Right? What, what does this word mean, observing? Right? Is it just looking at something? Well, observe means to persist in obedience to Christ's commands. That's another blank. To persist in obedience to Christ's commands. To conform one's action or practice to Christ's commands. And to keep watch over Christ's commands. Okay? This is the idea of what it means to observe all that Christ has commanded, to be obedient to, to conform to, and to keep watch over. So being a disciple of Christ means that we are obedient to the commands of Christ. If we love Christ, we will keep his commandments. This means that we are to learn Christ's commands from his word, Allah, the Bible. We see that the whole Bible is pointing to Christ, Luke 24, 27. Let's get two readers here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and then 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. 
So two readers. Second Timothy. This is, this is good. Oh, Gracie, I saw you totally look the other way. You were freaking out. You got it, Gracie? You'll get Second Timothy, okay? Okay. No pressure, Gracie. It's just, you're first, but other than that, there's no pressure here at all. If you're a youth in Sunday school, you're not safe. I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. You're not safe from me. Good job, Gracie. Way to go. Richie? All right. 2 Peter 1, 3, 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge of self-control and self-control with steadiness, with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Richie. I have a quick question for you. This is for extra credit. Um, what scriptures are both uh, Timothy and Peter talking about? The Old Testament. Yeah. Ted? That's right. They're actually talking about the Old Testament. Now we see Peter in other places helping us understand that he means the entire canon, the, the old and the new. But what I want you to see from this is that the Old Testament is a fertile grounds for us to go back and realize that we're called to listen to that too. It's not just the New Testament and we somehow detach uh, from the Old Testament and leave it behind. No, the discipleship that we're called to have is full all the way through the scripture from the old into the new. So the job of a disciple then becomes learning all that Christ has commanded them to do as taught by Christ and the disciples. This learning does not save them, but aids them in the walk with Christ. This is the will of God in the life of believers. Their sanctification is your blank. Sanctification. And that is from 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. We actually see that very language, that this is the will of God in your life, your sanctification. But this is what sanctification means. It means becoming more and more like Christ, more and more holy. This is what God has called his followers to do all the way from the beginning. We can even look at Leviticus 19 and 20 and 21. Those chapters all bringing out the reality that we are to be holy as he is holy. Or perfect as he is perfect. But we can only be perfect through Christ. So, 
If we understand that a disciple is someone who's a pupil, an apprentice, a learner, a follower of someone, and then we understand that being one of these disciples means that we are going to be learning from somebody, we're going to be learning from, from Christ to, to be obedient to all of those things, then this is where we get to what Joel was talking to us about last Sunday. How do I do this with someone else? Right? Because you'll go back to the Great Commission... And it says, make disciples of all nations. And that wasn't just left for the apostles. That was for everyone. Everyone is called to make disciples. We shouldn't just be in a, a, a state of drinking milk and never going and discipling others. We are called to make disciples. This is everyone's call. So then we have to answer the question, well, how do I do that? How do I disciple someone? So up to this point, we've just briefly gone over what a disciple is, what it means to observe all Christ has commanded, and then we realize that being a follower does not only mean learning about Christ, but it's being obedient to Christ and his commands. But it is now that we need to turn back again to our verse and realize what he's called us to do, to make disciples of all nations. Christ has called us to make, is your blank, disciples. So how do we do that? How do we make a disciple or worded differently? How do we disciple someone? That's going to be the focus of the rest of this time this morning. And I've done it in a way that um, a pastor would do it. Uh, I have alliterated or I've, I've used three E's. So that's how you're going to memorize this. You're going you're gonna to remember the three E's of discipleship. You won't, but I will still love you. So number one uh, in your blank is encounter. And then that just means reading God's word together. These are going to be long, so maybe just get the first E. Two is encourage. Encouragement and accountability. And then three is going to be emulate. Allow people into your life. So encounter, encourage, and emulate. These are obviously not the only ways to disciple someone. But we see this as a simple and sustainable way of discipling those around you. We want to empower you to do at least these three ideas. And however your discipleship changes over time, awesome. The rest of the study will unpack these ideas and their consequences. So again, Mark Dever says, The goal of discipling is to see lives transformed, which means it involves more than reading a book or even the Bible with another person. Ultimately, discipling involves living out the whole Christian life before others. Christ is our example here. So number one, we go to encounter. Reading God's word together. So remember, the Bible is the very word of God. That's what we heard from Gracie earlier, right? It's inspired. It's breathed out by God. It is how we know what the commands of Christ are so that we can follow them. Therefore, reading the Bible together is the most central component of what we hope to see in believers discipling one another. In Paul's letter to Timothy, we see how important the study of God's word is. It's the inspired word of God. And it's profitable for teaching, for making the man or woman of God complete, for, uh, complete and equipped for every good work. So too quickly is what usually happens is we look for a book or a program to help us disciple someone else. And we neglect the power, which is your blank, of the word of God. 
We typically want to just kind of have an easy road of discipleship. Okay, follow these steps, and then you'll uh, make a, a perfect disciple. And the reality is, we just need to get in the Word together. Isaiah 55, 11 tells us that the Word of God will not return void, but shall accomplish and succeed in its task. God's Word alone gives us the power of salvation, Romans 1, 16 through 18. The power for sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. And the power of training a man in righteousness so that he may be equipped for every good work. Psalm 1 talks about the reality of the, of the man uh, who is connected to the word of God. We've read 2 Timothy and 2 Peter 1, 3. David Helm is a helpful author here. He says, we do so because of our convictions about the power of God's word. When people are exposed to it, they find salvation in Christ. They are sanctified in faith. They are trained for effective ministry and they find community in a web of relationships that are unlike any other the world has to offer. So reading the Bible with someone does not require that you have a seminary degree. Or that you've been trained to be a pastor. This is not for the super apostle. This is for everybody. Okay, All that is required is a humble spirit and a longing to know Christ more and make him known. Somebody read for us Romans 15, 14. Can you take her? Romans 15, 14. I got it. I got it, says someone. In a low, raspy voice. Oh, it's mine. I myself... I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Wow. Now that is the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, but not writing to an elder. He's writing to the whole church. I, I know that you guys can do this. I know you can instruct and disciple one another. Go and do it. R.C. Sproul, uh, who just does this so well, uh, helps us see, although he was very intellectual, he says, there is no special intellectual prowess or pneumatic gift that is necessary to understand the basic message of Scripture. Now, some might contend with R.C. there and say, well, you need the Holy Spirit to understand. I don't think that's what he means there. He's just saying you don't have to be some sort of super apostle. Now, I've given you guys now, as we're talking about, I want you to read the Bible together. Well, how do I do that? Right? There's this cool little book called One-to-One -one Bible Reading. I would highly recommend it. It's really short. It's really helpful. And it can get you in there and, and, and feel comfortable going to somebody else. But if you don't want to read that book, you don't got time for that. I'm, I've given you just four simple things to do when you read the Bible with someone else. Okay? So here are four simple ways that you can read the Bible with somebody and, and have a fruitful Bible study. Number one is context. So what type of book are you reading? Okay, these are important questions to ask when you're doing Bible reading together with, with each other. Is it a narrative, an epistle, wisdom, apocalyptic, etc.? There are many different types uh, of, that we could be reading the Bible. There are different types of books of the Bible that we're going to need to understand that. You don't read uh, narrative the same way as you read an apocalyptic book. You don't read... Um, an epistle the same way you would read wisdom literature. There, there are different types of things going on here. So context is really helpful to understand. 
So what has been described already in the book, and how does that relate to what you're reading? How does this relate to redemptive history? So the idea of context. There's much more, but these are just a few simple things to think about. Number two is observation. What is the main point or points of this chapter or section that you're reading with someone else? Are there repetition of words or ideas? And what questions would you have about the text? Okay, observation. Number three, meaning. How does this passage relate to the overall theme of the book? What does this passage teach us about God? How can you sum up the meaning of this passage in your own words? You're, you're trying to find out what the author means from this section that you're reading, not what you feel about the passage. Amen. I I'd get an amen from Ted. All right, and then number four, application. <clears throat> How does this passage challenge or confirm my understanding of the text? How does this passage call me to change the way I live and then pray about what you've just read. Now, four really easy things. If you're in uh, Ted and Larry's care group, um, you'll realize that you guys are doing something similar. You're being learned. You're being learned. That's, that's what I wanted to say. You're being taught how to read the scriptures, right? You're being taught these are the things I should do to pull the meaning and then interact with those things. That's great. So if, if you don't like these four things that I just brought up, hit up Ted and he can, he can hook you up with what they're doing. But these are just four really easy ways. And then you could say it's the coma method. <gasps> it makes a word. That can help us memorize it. So anyways, this method is just a suggestion. Um, but God is sovereign over your discipleship. Whether you hold to a method or just open your Bible and read it out loud in a coffee shop a workplace, garage, on your couch, a park, dining room table, wherever. God is at work in his word through his spirit to make you more like his son. Now, I want to challenge you guys in your workplace to, to open up your Bible when you have a lunch break. And now I know a lot of us are working from home, so I don't think you can like zoom in with your Bible in front of the screen like, Oh, this is just me reading my Bible. Um, but I, I, would, I would encourage you guys to, to be open about this because that's how you're going to draw people in to see that you're actually a Christian and may want to be discipled by you or you may be able to engage in a discipleship relationship with someone else. So anyways, that's just a challenge. I think you guys can do it. Um, but as this process is taking place, you'll be confronted with what scripture calls believers to do in their life. You will then aid both yourself and the person you are discipling to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. Okay, because that's, that's actually what you're called to do as a Christian. You're called to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And you're going to do that as you, or, or as we go back to the beginning. What is a disciple? Somebody tell me, what's a disciple? Follower. A follower, good. And what is a disciple, a follower called to do? Observe. observe. You're called to observe all that Christ has commanded you. Well, how do you observe what you've been commanded to do? You've, you've got to be able to read through this word and see what is it God has commanded me to do. And as you do that, with somebody else reading the word of God, 
you can then help them observe all that Christ has commanded you and them to do. All right, number two, encourage. I love encouragement. Uh, encouragement uh, is neglected. We need more encouragement, okay? So encouragement is of vital importance in a disciple's life. Through the ups and downs of following Christ, which we will all experience, it is extremely important to be able to encourage one another. In fact, you might be thinking, you just like encouragement, Andrew, because you uh, are an encourager. And I would say, I like encouragement because the Bible is, it repeats, it talks about, it makes it a major theme, this idea of encouragement. In fact, it's used over a hundred and 30 times in the New Testament alone. The Greek word is really interesting. The Greek word for encouragement is para kaleo. Now that sounds very similar to the noun version, which is the paraclete. Extra credit for who knows what the paraclete is describing. What was that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is known as the paraclete. So we are called to engage in the same work as the Holy Spirit to be an encourager, to walk alongside other people and point them to Christ, which is what the Holy Spirit does. Parakaleo. Okay, so this is what parakaleo or encouragement means in the Greek. It means to urge strongly, to embolden another in belief or course of action, to encourage, obviously, or to appeal to. Now, I gave you a smattering of verses just so you don't think I'm just pulling this out of midair, but we don't have enough time if we're going to make it through the eight pages. So read them and then come get me afterwards and be like, you were wrong. That's not what it said. Um, so as we thought through these different things of uh, to urge someone strongly, to embolden, to appeal, and to encourage, this definition maybe starts to change our understanding of biblical encouragement. As a disciple-making disciples, you are reading the Word of God with others in order that you know what the Word of God says and how to be obedient to it. As a disciple, then, you need to make sure that what you are learning from Scripture, you actually do. This is where encouragement comes in. Encouragement is not just calling to say nice things to someone, even if they're not walking out their faith in a manner worthy of their calling. That's not encouragement. Encouragement is, is, is actually getting into this person's life and holding them accountable to what they're supposed to be doing. So you might think that's mean, and you can certainly do that in a mean way, which I don't want you to do. But this is a biblical idea that you would actually, um, instead of being a lack of encouragement, you would actually urge people strongly, embolden them to belief and action, and appeal to them to go to the scriptures and be obedient to Christ. So we've got this really cool book that's in our bookstore as well. It's weird. All these quotes are coming from books that you can go read uh, that are in the bookstore. Uh, this one's called The Trellis and the Vine, and it's by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. And they say, this can only mean that God wants all Christians to be speaking to each other regularly, urging and encouraging each other to stick with Christ. So Hebrews 3, 7 through 15, tells us of the importance of encouragement. Pastor Joel has preached through this and has been such an encouragement to us. Go back and, and listen to those again. So it goes as far to say to exhort or encourage one another 
every day that our hearts would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is how encouragement connects with encountering God and his word. We need to be encouraging one another so that we don't fall into sin. And this is not just a once a couple of weeks kind of thing. When you're discipling someone, you need to be prepared to encourage them daily. We also see that encouraging or exhorting is an imperative in Hebrews 3. Meaning it's not just a suggestion, but it's a command from God. <gasps> One of those commands that you're called to observe as a disciple. So, encouragement then is a command that you're called to observe and you're, do, you're supposed to do this daily. So, this might look different for however you're discipling someone. I'm not telling you you have to do it this way, but it's an imperative. It's a command. It's clear. We need to encourage one another. Friends, can I just tell you that, and, and I know you know this, but maybe you just need encouragement. The, the deceitfulness of sin is real. And as the longer you partake of a certain sin and you allow your heart to become hardened to it, the easier it is for you to continue to partake in that sin. But if we're actually discipling one another like we should be, we should be in our lives saying, brother, sister, that's a sin. You need to stop doing that. Look at God's word. Be ready to encounter God's word and say, you need to repent of this sin. If we did more of that, if we were actually discipling one another in each other's lives in that type of intense and accountable way, I think we would see much more healthy discipleship. So encouragement is not just um, a way to, or, or, or encountering, what, what did I call this one? Um, encouragement, yeah. Encouragement is not just the uh, trying to help each other walk in a manner worthy of their calling, but it is holding your brother in Christ accountable for what you're learning. So Hebrews 3 tells us of the deceitfulness of sin, and if we're not urging each other to obedience, it's very easy for us to be deceived by sin. Hebrews 13.22, we see the appeal to bear with the exhortation that was given or to accept or receive the words given in order to be accountable to them. Okay, we are going light speed now. We're totally going to make this. We've got plenty of time, okay? So here are practical ways to encourage someone. Make discipling consistent, okay? If you want to make sure that you're in someone's life, being able to encourage them day in and day out, make discipling consistent. Number two, be prepared to appeal to scripture. Don't just say, I feel like you should be doing this. Say, this is what God's word, God's word calls us to do as believers in Christ. You might need to rebuke your friend, but you should do that in love. Be prepared to communicate, okay? Whether that's through phone calls, texts, emails, notes, whatever, smoke signals, you need to communicate to others. I just heard a story this last week about our body, about a man who was telling me the amount of encouragement he was receiving from another brother in our church. That this guy was texting him every week saying, how are you doing? How is this? How is that? And it got to the point where he's like, I didn't even know what to tell him anymore. I felt like I, I shared my entire heart with this brother. And I sat there and went, that's exactly what we want. We want each other in each other's lives so much that we can just be a constant uh, encouragement to them. And this makes it easy for you to say, I'm having a hard time. 
boy, Bob over here has texted me every week asking me how I'm doing. Let me go tell Bob how I'm actually doing. Bob is not a real person. Uh, I've made up that name. All right. And then number four, be prepared to pray. Okay, learning more about scripture and each other will make you more aware of your need for praying for one another. What an opportunity. Okay, and our last one, light speed, we are going to talk about emulate. And unfortunately, this is the one that we do the worst. Okay, this might be the most challenging of these three ideas. Encounter, encouragement, emulate. Specifically, yes, I wrote this sentence. In our individualistic, oh, I can't say it. Somebody say individualistic. Thank you. Um, Western and cocky Calvinistic views of Scripture. <gasps> okay, we must understand what it means to imitate or emulate someone. This points us back to what it means to be a disciple, someone who follows someone else and learns from them, not just by teaching, but by watching how they live. Remember, um, or. Don't remember, this is new. Uh, when we're looking at emulating or imitating, it comes from the Greek word mimetes. What does that sound like? Mimic. We're called to actually mimic one another and how we follow Christ. Isn't that cool? I'm sorry, I get really excited about that. I think that's rad. All right, so what does mimetes mean? It means to reproduce someone's behavior or look. To emulate, which means to equal or approach equality. To imitate, which means to follow as a pattern, model, or example. Imitation is typically broken up into two categories. Imitation of a person in the New Testament or imitation of God. But the imitation or emulation of a person is still imitating how that person imitates Christ. God in his inspired word commands us to imitate others in the faith. Hebrews 13, 7. This is simply because this is how we learn to follow Christ. This is why the importance of godly families, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. This is that germinal form of us understanding how to follow Christ. Now, I, I didn't get that growing up. And I'm sure a lot of you didn't either. But that's okay. We can, we can get that from others in our community. We can learn that. And I, I'm going to jump uh, past Mark Dever here. And I, I think the first thing that you guys might be thinking as we're thinking of these three things, uh, imitation or, or emulate, encourage, and encounter God's word, you might have this kind of thought of humility. People should not be imitating me. Okay, maybe that thought went through your head. I get what you're saying, and I wrote this as a blank. It's just that you're wrong, okay? Yeah, that's your blank, wrong, you're wrong. As someone who follows Christ, you are a disciple or you are to disciple others to follow Christ. And they will do that partially by following how you follow Christ. As you do this, you will be sanctified as well. Included with this first thought is that people will not always want to follow you. So don't, don't worry. Um, this is where the idea of individualistic Western, I can't say individual, I just, I'm done. Thank you. Western and cocky Calvinists come in. A critique of Calvinism is that we can seem arrogant. We have all the answers to all the questions. And this isn't always true, but it certainly has been before. Men, especially young men, are starved to know Christ and to learn from other men how to follow Christ. Women are in need to learn and follow and emulate older women. 
This comes to the other thing that could be happening in your mind. How do I have someone emulate or imitate me? So the command for imitation actually is on the disciple's side, not the discipler. Okay? So that means they're just going to pick it up from you. As they come to you and ask to be disciple, or if you ask someone if they want to disciple one another, they are just going to be picking this up from you um, almost just instinctively. Okay? So I want to give you a couple of ways in which you can invite someone into your life so that they can look and they can understand. And we've only got a couple more blanks in like two minutes. So this is how we're going to do it. Okay? Number one, I want you not to just invite them to study the Bible um, at a coffee shop or somewhere else, but I want you to invite people into your home. And that, listen, I said home. I don't care if you live in a house, an apartment, a flat, a trailer. If you live outside, invite that person to come into that with you. Why? Because when you invite somebody into your home, um, you get to allow them to see how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you fulfill your responsibilities. They get to experience your hospitality, whether single or married. It'll allow um, them to see the priority of one another ministry. Eat a meal with them. It's just biblical, right? Discipleship happens over eating or snacking, right? Uh, have people over, eat. They can observe how you do family worship. They can see what you make important when you invite them into your home. And for me, when I've got four kids sitting around the table, it gets to allow people to see that I can't control every situation. When little kids are, you know, throwing forks off the table or food goes flying, and then I react in a way that might not be in a manner worthy of my calling, they can then see me repent and see that I'm not perfect. And that's a good learning um, experience. That's how you emulate somebody. Number two, invite them to participate in ministry with you. And this is how I'll end it. If you are, uh, if, you know, uh, I'm thinking of Ralph and Maureen, okay, because they're going to be here next week. Ralph is an evangelist, right? There's no doubt about it. Ralph loves sharing the gospel. And he really uh, couldn't care less where, when, or how he's going to share the gospel. I love Ralph for that. So if you are like Ralph and you love doing evangelism, you love doing, uh, handing out tracts, or you go door to door in your neighborhood, Take your disciple with you. Take the person that you're meeting with to read the Bible with you. Come with me. I'm going to go do this ministry. I want you to help. If you like going to nursing homes, which we have people here that do that, visit the elderly. Take that person with you. Call them up. Hey, I know we've been reading the Bible together. Do you want to come to the nursing home with me this afternoon and check in on this person who I have a relationship with? Cool. That's how people learn right? Uh, if you like going to the hospital to visit people, to pray for them, take them with you. Invite others to spend time in prayer with you for the church and for other things that you're passionate about. These are just a couple of ideas about how you can allow someone to emulate you, but the possibilities are a ton. As you do these things, you will be, begin to imitate things, or they will be able to imitate things that they see in you that they like. I'll give one story and then I'll close the prayer because I know we're already out of time. When I was a police officer with the LAPD, um, we had this discipling program where when you were out of the academy, so you got all the head knowledge, 
had to go into a car, and Edgar's not here this morning, but he, he's going to experience this soon. You go out of a car, and you sit in a car with someone who is going to disciple you how to be a police officer. You sit in there, and you watch them do everything. How they talk to people. How they talk to you. How they talk to other cops. How they write reports. How they arrest people. And you watch, and you learn, and you do it with them. And then what LAPD does is they say, yeah, you've been with this guy about a month or two. You're done. Go to a new person. Well, then you sit in the car. You start over. And you learn from this person. How they talk to people. How they talk to cops. How they talk to you. How they write reports. How they arrest people. How uh, all these things. And then after two months, you're done. Go to a new person. And you get discipled by all these different people. And by the end, uh, you've chewed up. Uh, the meat, and you've spit out the bones for, for different things. I don't like the way that Bob, fake person, talked to people, right? I don't like the way uh, how Jim wrote reports. I don't like the way, right? You get all of these things, and then you say, but I really like the way another native name. Uh, Carl, thank you. How Carl uh, wrote reports, or how, how Carl uh, arrested people, right? You, this is what discipleship looks like. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to be this guy's disciple and that's it for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm tethered to, you know, dang it, I can't think of any names. George. George, thank you. The participation this morning is wonderful. Uh, fake names. Good job, okay? Um, you get to be discipled by so many Christians. Like, you get this cool opportunity to live in community with other Christians. The only person you will not detach yourself from will be Christ. But other than that, you can learn from so many people. Soak it up. Look around this room right now. This is part of Sunday school. Look around the room. I want to see heads turning. Your head's not turning, Sammy. Thank you. All right. Yes, I want you to look at these people, and I want you to go. I want you to ask them, hey, do you want to read the Bible with me? And if it's not in here, I want you to go outside of this place. Where do you work? I want you to pull someone aside and say, hey. Do you want to read the Bible with me or, or, or whatever? Start reading your Bible in public so people can see this, guys. We want this to be a part of who we are because we're commanded. And what was a disciple again? Follower. A follower. What is that follower to do? Observe. observe. And what is one of the things that we're called to observe? Make disciples. Stop drinking milk. Sit up to the table with the steak. Cut it open. Start eating it. And start sharing that and building other people up around you. We don't just come to drink the milk and go home. We come so that we can disciple others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to think through how you created discipleship. How thousands of years ago, when Jesus made disciples, he prayed and that prayer was for us. God, thank you for the incredible, awesome opportunity that we have to be instruments in your hands, to build other people up, to help them observe all that you have commanded us to do. Father, would you use this room? Would you use the men and women in this room to make disciples of all nations? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.